You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. Welcome to another show of Item 13. Um, I have another Selassie in the chair with me today. We have Selassie Doche was born in Accra, Ghana, for those, but if you've been listening to this show forever, you should know where Accra is by now, <laughs> um, Accra in Ghana, but was raised in, in the American South. Food has always been a large part of her life, and for the last several years, she's worked at several well-known fine dining restaurants um, in the Bay Area. Um, she currently works as a chef de cuisine at High Felicia in downtown Oakland, California. Welcome to the show, Selassie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Like I was telling you off off um off air, you're the second Selassie I'm talking to today. <laughs> so it's like a Ghana Girl reunion in in some ways. Um thank you for joining us today. I think we're gonna be t- delving into some really important topics here. But I always like to start with like your personal story, how your family ended up in the US, um, growing up in the South, if you have some color to add to that, and then just how you ended up in food yeah 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 so um I was born in Accra um my dad is a chemist an organic chemist yeah 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 and my mom is a nurse so when I was born um my dad was actually I think living in either the UK or in Canada so when I was about like one, we left, uh, me and my mom, we left Ghana to join my dad in uh, Vancouver. So that was our first trip. Yeah. Um, lived in Vancouver till I was about three. Uh, then we moved to Georgia, uh, Atlanta, because my dad uh, received a uh, position at Georgia Tech and he was oh, going to okay. get his, yeah, and um, he was going to get his PhD there. So that's how we ended up in the States. Uh, my dad graduated and got his PhD while my mom was working at uh, uh, Grady Hospital, which is a very well-known hospital in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So just um, after about 10 years, we moved to North Carolina um, that's where I went to like middle school, high school, like, so that, so that was most of my formative years. Um, that's how I really got more into like cooking more because like I was always in the kitchen with my mom, um, always, always helping her like cutting onions or peeling garlic or sorting through spinach to make spinach stew. And, um, I, always took like a lot of like math and science in high school because having parents from Ghana, they wanted me to (laughs) either (laughs) to either be the top three of a lawyer, doctor or an engineer. (laughs) But um, I wasn't really interested. So I took like some food classes actually in, in uh, high school. There's a, like a basic like food class So I was like, well, I cook at home. This sounds cool. I'm taking as many, you know, honors and AP classes as I can, but I still want to have fun. So I took this class called Foods as an 
elective, like I want to say like junior year, then I took it again, senior year. And then I was like, all right, food, food is kind of something that I want to do. Like, I don't want to go to school for, for anything else. So, um, I went to school in Charlotte. Um, after we moved to North Carolina, we moved to the Raleigh Durham area. Um, my dad wasn't working in pharmaceuticals and my mom was working at a Duke hospital. So, um, I mean, lots of, sorry. (laughs) Um, yeah. So after high school, I moved to Charlotte to go to Johnson and Wales, um, to their Charlotte campus. The Charlotte campus was opened once they closed their campus in South Carolina and Virginia. So Charlotte was like the, the, uh, the, uh, middle point. Okay. So, um, went to Johnson and Wells, studied culinary arts and food service management. Um, went for four year program, stayed in Charlotte for about like two years. Um, I got my first fine dining job, uh, sophomore year of, uh, university. Oh, okay. So you, you didn't like, you've always worked in fine dining then was, was going to be one of my questions. Oh, well, so in high school, I had worked at like a, like a burger and pizza shop. So um, that's, that's, that was like my first, first like real job. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I started off as a actually working the register. Um, and then I was like, you know what, this, I don't really like interacting with like guests so much. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a way for me to like be in the kitchen? And they're like, well, the kitchen's kind of full, but like we're looking for like a like a busser or dishwasher. So I started off bussing tables and washing dishes. Then finally they started me off doing some prep in the kitchen. Um, then next thing I know, I was working pizza, I was working grill. Um, I started there, I wanna say when I was 16. So yeah, like junior year of high school. Yeah then worked junior year senior year and even like graduated like working there because that was like my main high school job Mm. but um I was I mean I kind of want to say that like it was a lot of fun because we were just like a bunch of high school kids making pizzas and at the end of the day but um that also like made me realize you know like I don't want to do anything else like I I love cooking and I love having food. So like when I was looking for schools to attend, like I was looking, like I applied to Johnson and Wales and the CIA, which is the Culinary Institute of America in New York. Yeah. And then I also applied to like some regular hospitality programs Mm -hmm. at like UNC uh, uh, Greensboro and UNC Charlotte. Um, I actually got into every school that I applied to. So I just had to like figure out where I wanted to go. I didn't want to go to New York because I don't like the cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I chose to go to Johnson and Wales, yeah, which also wasn't like too far from home. So like Charlotte's only like a three hour drive. So like I could drive home uh, when I wanted to. Um, so started school, uh, that, that was an interesting experience. Um, I didn't really have to go to culinary school. I just went because like my parents said, you need a degree in something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, all right, why not go to culinary school? So, um, I mean, it was like the academic side was like really easy because academics are uh easy for me but like the cooking part was also like pretty easy like all like I was really just learning like the like terminology Mm -hmm. of like the classical French uh cuisine because that's so so basically that's like how they start you off in the culinary (laughs) world is classical French you're like European, Italian. So like I knew how to like cut things. I knew how to like 
hold a knife and like actually like cook so I was I mean so I was just like learning like oh a very small dice is called a brunoise a medium dice is called a like uh batonine you know just like french terms (laughs) yeah (laughs) 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 but um whilst I was there like I knew that like I wanted to check out some of the uh like the uh restaurants too um so one of my classmates he was working at one of the top seafood uh uh, fine dining restaurants in Charlotte called uh, Upstream Seafood. Uh, it specialized in like Asian style flavors, but um, with like seafood. So there was like a sushi bar, there's like an oyster bar, but like we did all types of seafood. Um, but he was there as a busser also, and he was trying to get into the the kitchen so he was like hey there's a position as a busser which is kind of strange like it's always a busser position that's opening up now that I think about it (laughs) (laughs) that was always sort of your foot in the door to a kitchen yeah yeah so I was a busser like serving water and bread and like just doing that um and then finally I told him, like, hey, like, my goal eventually is to get into the kitchen. Like, this is cool and all, but, like, yeah. I'm a cook. Like, I want to cook. So um, they said that, well, how about we have you expo? Because then you can see, like, the food going out. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I've never, like, done that before. So, like, I learned how to, like, call out the tickets and uh pretty much like how the kitchen runs essentially yeah 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 but like it was really like fun because like I'm the one guiding service like Mm. hey like take this to this table take that to that table all right like uh cold slide like are we ready to like um are we ready on the salads that are going Mm -hmm. with the entrees like that that was truly a fun experience so once I was done with that finally a prep uh a a morning prep uh position opened so they're like well now that you have seen what the final plates look like now you can see how things are prepped yeah how they're started so I prepped then they finally moved me onto the line um and I was there for about four years oh okay what's this what's this while you were still um in school school. okay okay. yeah yeah so I was there sophomore year of college and when I left I was already like finished with school okay um so when I left I was pretty much like lead line cook Mm. and the uh pastry chef well not 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 really like the pastry chef but I was in charge of doing the pastries okay so in four years I pretty much had worked every position in that kitchen so then I was like all right um I think it's time for me to move on and see like what else is in Charlotte for me yeah so after finishing there and after uh graduating i I bounced around to several other restaurants. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them was, I mean, the food scene in Charlotte is, you know, mostly all like Southern style food. So I specialize in (laughs) a lot of that. (laughs) But um, after that, I went to a couple like burger spots uh, where I was like sous chef, pastry chef. I always ended up like, being like a sous chef and like pastry chef like mm-hmm. I always did pastry and savory which is funny because in culinary school like I never really liked pastry because <laughs> like it's like that like science of like oh this has to be weighed this has to be measured or it's gonna like mess everything up right. Whereas cooking you you just throw it all together in a pot and somehow it ends up good but um I was in Charlotte for about 10 years before I finally said, you know what, I 
I don't really think I'm going uh, anywhere because like I was never really getting too many like management uh, positions. Like people were just trying to keep me as a cook. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I can, I can cook, but there's more that like, I want to do like, I want to like be a sous chef. Like I want to be like a chef de cuisine, but like I wasn't getting those positions. Um, so that led me to like, uh, that's like, so that's kind of like how I got started with a black chef, uh, dinner series called so food sessions. Oh yeah. Tell, tell me about that and, and why it was important to have it just be like black chefs in particular. Yeah, so um, Greg Collier was the uh, chef who started that. He was a chef in South Carolina. Um, he was actually looking for like a a breakfast cook. So I reached out to him like, hey, like I saw you're looking for a cook. Like, let's meet. But like during this interview, we got talking about like being black chefs and how like like we don't see us and like we're not getting those opportunities so like after telling him like what's been happening like he was like well it's because you're black and like people don't know how to work with us people don't know how to interact with us so he was telling me that he was going to start this dinner series that was like something for us by us because mm -hmm. like we didn't see ourselves and all the other chefs who were doing dinners were like white chefs and they weren't like trying to include any other chefs of color. So Greg and some of his other chef friends, um, it was Jamie Barnes, Jamie Turner, Greg Williams, and Greg's wife, Sabrina, and then also Michael Bowling. Uh, those are the 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 founding chefs. Uh, mm -hmm. They had one dinner and uh, Chef Greg was like, hey, like, do you want to like just come and like hang out with us? And I was like, hell yeah <laughs> so I just like help them cook and help them play and just like the pure blackness it's just like this is what I've been missing in mm. every kitchen you know like that like 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 there's just something about like when black people when we come together it's just like family you know like yeah like it doesn't matter if you've never met each other like <laughs> before like you hang out and we just like click. So then I'm curious, like you had that, like it sounds like your career was going to an extent. You've created this community of, you know, with other black chefs that all of this happening still in North Carolina, right? So how did you end yeah. up in the Bay Area moving all the way, all the way <laughs> across the country when it sounded like um, you had a good thing going? I mean, I always wanted to live in California, but like oh, okay. I just, yeah, like I... I never really knew how to make that happen. Um, and also Charlotte, the food scene, like it didn't have that fine dining scene that I was looking for, like like with like tweezers and Michelin and all that. Like there was fine dining, but not to like the super higher end fine dining. So like the more kitchens that I had like worked in, like I realized, hey, I want to do more fine dining. I did these dinners with all these chefs. But I still wasn't really getting any like real good jobs. So I was like, okay, maybe Charlotte isn't the move. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's finally time for me to like go to California, see what the food scene is about. Um, I knew that I either wanted to do Chicago, New York, or California. But again, the I don't cold. like the cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, California, here I come. So um, after doing several more dinners with like Greg and all of them, like that actually gave me the confidence like mm -hmm. to be like, Hey, like I'm just as good as any other chef in California. Like, let me go see what I can learn. Let me go see what that's about. Did you just pack up and leave? <laughs> so I took a trip for two weeks to like stage around different kitchens, see like what the vibe was, see what housing was like. And just like experience uh, San Francisco because I'd never been to California, but like you see it on TV and it's like, mm. all right, sunshine, why not? <laughs>
So <laughs> I stashed around. Um, I actually got some offers. Uh, one of them was at SPQR, which uh, well was a one Michelin star restaurant. They actually ended up losing their Michelin star this year. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I got another job offer from a, uh, another restaurant in Palo Alto called Bird Dog. So um, I explained that I still live in uh, California, but yeah. I was, or, oh no, that I still lived in uh, North Carolina, but I was going to be moving here in like January. So they're like, all right, we'll hold your position. I was like kind of working for restaurants kind of wasn't so I wasn't really like tied down to anyone so mm -hmm. like I packed up all my stuff my parents helped me hire a shipping uh company for all yeah. like my for my large stuff um and then I put the rest of it in my car and I drove across <laughs> the country <laughs> that sounds like a story <laughs> for some movie <laughs> down the road like what um, I, yeah <laughs> all right so you end up in California um, yes. working I guess for and I don't know if it's for one at a time or both um mixed up but then at yeah. some point you, you decide to start to host um because I'm curious how you start you go from like working in the Southern kitchens, doing all of that, rising up, and then working with the Black, um, the Soul Food Sessions. And then mm -hmm. in California, you start to host a series of pop-ups. And, and that's sort of what I want to talk about, in terms, especially because these sort of tie back then to your Ghanaian roots. And so oh, I'm yeah. trying to, to connect the dots of how and where, where that sort of clicked for you and that like you wanted to do... Um, this work I guess starting with the pop-up I should let's start with the pop-up I know it used to be called Sankofa and then you changed the name too right yeah 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 so you know working in these kitchens like I moved to San Francisco because like everyone kept saying you know it's progressive you know it's it's there's a lot of diversity so I was like all right let's let's see but like I still wasn't seeing anyone that looked like me in these kitchens um I think when I started working in San Francisco, I worked at uh, Marad, and that was the most Black people I'd ever seen mm. in a Michelin fine dining kitchen. And, like, it just, but it wasn't the same, like, community that I felt with Soul Food Sessions. Mm. So that kind of made me, like, all right, well, I've, had this small experience with this series in Charlotte, like maybe I should try and do my own. So because I wasn't seeing what I wanted, I decided to create it in my own way. So I started my first pop-up was like some cooks at SP, uh, at SP, SPQR. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then because pop-ups are very hard. <laughs> I did it on and off because um, I still had to like work my full-time jobs. Yeah. But um, th that pop-up was like for something that was like chefs of color, primarily black chefs. But um, I also, as I was learning more fine dining techniques and seeing more like African chefs and uh black chefs pop up in the media i was like okay maybe now i can start like tinkering with food that i grew mm -hmm. up eating because like i never really wanted to do food from ghana mm -hmm. um when i realized that i wanted to be a chef because like the or food in restaurants you don't see it in fine dining like there wasn't a lot of like value mm -hmm. but my parents were always telling me like you have to cook African food. You have to cook food from Ghana. You know, no one's doing that. But like, I didn't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that like it would like, I didn't think that it could be a thing. But like, as I got older and as I started to see it more, I was like, okay, you know, French food is boring. Italian food's boring. Like everyone else is already doing yeah. that. Like, you know, even in like fine dining scene, like it's still 
all the same stuff. So after like talking to my mom and just like calling her and like getting some recipes so I can like write them down, you know, I started like tinkering with like suya and jollof rice. And um, I started following chefs like uh, Eric Hajapong and Zoe Hajonia and Salasi Hatadika. And I was seeing like, the stuff that they were doing and I'm like yeah. oh shit like that's <laughs> that's solid like all right we're like there is a space for us like it may not have been like as big as it is now but I was starting to see like okay there are chefs out there doing it so that's when I started uh Sankofa, which you know means to go back to your roots to uh to to move forward yeah so essentially going back to, to his back back to history figuring out like what was good that you could then take and move forward yeah. with you in some ways yeah so yeah so that inspired me to like look into all of the food that I had grown up eating and mm-hmm. I was like all right how can I put a fine dining spin on this because I had learned that like fine dining in Michelin is really easy like it's not like cooking with like fire how i was going in (laughs) the south there's a lot of like sous vides and like hydrocolloids to do like the consistency so Mm -hmm. i like realized all right all right this isn't the type of food that i necessarily want to do like i still cook things from like scratch like i don't really like to simmer things in a bag it's just weird to me (laughs) it's weird (laughs) it's weird um but but um that maybe that made me start to like like uh that made me that made me start to look back more into my food um but then talking to my parents you know I'm an Ewe and Sankofa isn't a con term yeah so like Mm -hmm doing more research into like my culture and um I was like okay well I still want to tie it in so like I'm still you know going back to my roots but I want to tie it into like the Ewe culture mm-hmm. so m- my dad was like talking to like my aunts and uncles and like Ghana and saying you know Selassie wants to start this pop-up this restaurant like let's help her um come up with some names yeah. and my dad so my dad came up with like this long long list of names for me to like try and pick and I was like all right this is this is cool um so then I settled on Pilate um which is tasty in Ewe um or it appeals to the tongue as my dad uh told me the translation so Sankofa pop-up uh changed to Halade uh test kitchen. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. I think um now is probably a good time to take a quick break. And then when we come back, wanna dive more more into like what you did with Aladdin Test Kitchen in terms of some of the creations that you had and then um transition into what you've done with um another forum for for black chefs um and then we'll wrap up with sort of some of your specific experiences i want to get your thoughts on fine dining in general and then we'll do a rapid fire question so we'll take a quick break and we will be right back this episode is brought to you by wisconsin cheese there's a reason when you think of wisconsin you think cheese Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So before we left off, we were talking about the new test kitchen changing um, to ever just to realign with like specifically your Ghanaian, your specific Ghanaian roots. Um, and then I just wanted to talk about some of the things, I guess, some of the creations that you made um, as part of those dinner series so that people get a sense of like how you're experimenting with specific Ghanaian taste and flavors. So I remember reading um, something like, oh, which the Ghanaians here might... <laughs> Because I had a reaction to um, scallops in palmlet soup. <laughs> um, so that was one of the ones that I thought, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> curious to hear, like, your thoughts on some of the more interesting things you've done as part of the Test Kitchen series and, like, your thought process behind some of those takes, those creative takes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I did a dinner at my former job and um, some of the dishes was uh, a stuffed uh, chicken wing. So, but it's a jollof stuffed chicken wing. Um, I worked a jollof with stuffed chicken wing. Yeah. So I worked with a chef who um, like did a stuffed chicken wing because I think it's a, it's a popular dish in Japanese culture is to stuff a chicken wing with rice and like fry it. So I was like, that's really cool. What if I took a chicken wing, stuffed it with jollof rice, and then I tossed it in like a shito honey chili oh, glaze? Man. <laughs> so that was something that was like a hit at my pop-up. I mean, um, I'm just listening to it, and that sounds like to die for. Oh, yeah. It was like, when I tasted it, I was like, all right, this is this is something, this is something, <laughs> but like, everyone was like, yo, that was my favorite out of like the whole dish. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So my scallop and, uh, uh, palm nut sauce dish, um, that was just a play on, uh, palm nut soup, mm-hmm. uh, grub eating that with like fufu and yeah. and banku. But I was like, all right, what's what's a more refined way of like presenting this? So my chef had a scallop dish. I would see how he would like prepare the scallops. But I was like, all right, I'm going to do a different sauce for this. So it's like a base of the palm nut, but it's like coconut milk instead of like stock. And then I served it with a charred okra. So it was kind of oh, like man. a play on like palm nut and like yeah. okra soup, but like seafood. I'm curious if you've done okra soup, like with the the draw and what people's reaction has been to that. If you if you have not that yet, yet. <laughs> I want to though because you know a lot of people don't like mm-hmm. okra because of its thickness and the viscosity. But like me, like that's what I grew up eating. Yeah, like, that's, I, I love that's it normal. <laughs> like, like, think, yeah. And that's, that's interesting because I like I'm also aware, and so like that's what I grew up eating, like from when I was two, probably. So yeah, it's not it's not been strange to me from that perspective. But I'm always curious, like people's like really strong reactions to to this what they call slimy or the draw or whatever. But it's I'm like you're missing out on on some really good food. <laughs> yeah, they really are. I mean, I think the ways that I try to like make okra a little bit more appealing is like the thing is with okra, the more you cut it, that's what brings out the mm. slime. But if you cut it less, you know, it's not as slimy, but also my chef showed me a, a technique to cook okra where like you, you blanch it and shock it whole. And then that like draws out some of the slime. So like when you cut it and like sear it, it's not like, super slimy it's still kind of like crisp and like crunchy but just has like a little bit of that like slime so so that's what I did so that I could still add okra to the dish but not have it be like this super viscous thick soup no that sounds good I look forward to seeing it on 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 a menu (laughs) (laughs) that you have sometime soon um 
so that so is that an ongoing series now like where do you host it if people were interested like what what what's the story around how that's set up so i kind of had to uh take a break from doing it full-time i do it like like here and there like i was just doing a chocolate dinner uh where i was able to represent hi felicia but i was also able to to represent halade um so if i get invited to do events that's normally when i'll like say hey i'm doing a pop-up i would like to get into doing it like once a month maybe just to like keep it going but um i'm still waiting to find like a solid location so that like i don't have to do it at a different spot you know each month right and then i also wanted to touch on like um a hard pill to swallow one yes (laughs) that's a mouthful tell us why it's called that (laughs) and then like what the story is behind like what we are trying to do there also um so a hard pill to swallow um it's a dinner series that's pretty much based off of soul food sessions it's something that's for black people in hospitality uh so chefs psalms mixologists restaurant tours um but it's also going to talk about like how hospitality is rooted in racism and how black people have had to rise from that so because a lot of people don't like to talk about race a lot of people don't like to talk about slavery that's how i was like okay this is gonna be it's a hard pill to swallow, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so that's so that's how I came up with that name. Okay. Um, the idea was, you know, doing soul food sessions and just having that sense of like family and community with uh, uh, black chefs and black psalms. Like I wasn't seeing that in a city that calls itself. Uh, uh progressive so i was like all right Mm -hmm. i'm gonna start my own series if you guys aren't going to include us in your pop-ups or your dinner series then i want to start my own you know like i'm going to start it and i'm going to talk about the issues that no one really wants to talk about you know like hospitality is rooted in slavery um it's it's there's there's a lot of reasons why hospitality is the way that it is. You know, there's a lot of reasons why it's rooted in all of the isms of like sexism <laughs> and racism, yeah. and ageism. Like it's because it's rooted in slavery. And when you have the black people who are doing everything, like it's not surprised that like it still has that history. It's still like, hey, like the reason why we don't have like benefits and like health insurance in hospitality is because the enslaved folks, they, they were just supposed to cook for people. Like they weren't supposed to like be able to uh, take care of themselves or take care of their families. Like they were just seen as like labor and that's kind of led to like how things are shaped now. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how I, that's how I came to start that uh series and then when you think about that's like that's great as you were talking it made me think about just hospitality and maybe specifically fine dining on a broader scale like globally just because um with Noma closing down there's been a lot of conversation about the fine dining business model and like why it wasn't sustainable even for a place like Noma that's charging I don't even know, 500, 600 <laughs> um, euros per plate um, or per yeah. experience. Like, I don't even remember what the exact pricing is. But, like, if a place like that can't survive, you know, then it's it's clear that there's something wrong with, with the business model. Um, and, and that it probably ties to what you're saying now um, about the roots of that. And wanted to then touch on, like, 
you wrote a very eye-opening article for each, <laughs> for each of San Francisco um, about anti-blackness um, in fine dining in the Bay Area. And I mean, reading it, it's just like, like my heart went out to you. Like I can't imagine working in it. Well, I can, but not in, in the context that you're like, I, a lot of us work in spaces where we are the onlys, right? Um, yes. So not necessarily um, in the kitchen alone, but just in corporate spaces and like in, you know, different other spaces. So I could relate to an extent to what you were talking about. And especially that um, intersection of identities, like where you're both Black and African. Like I don't have, like I didn't grow up here. But right. in, just in the corporate spaces that I work in, people assume that I'm like I'm American black. If that's <laughs> is. Um, and so I experienced that to an extent where I have to explain that I'm not. And I don't you, there's a tension there where I don't. Yeah, that's a whole conversation for another day. But for your experience specifically in the kitchen where you're grappling with being like black, black as in black American but also being like an African in those spaces and those identities like just maybe just sharing one giving people some context who've not read the article I will share a link to the article um, in the show notes so people can read in full um, but just a couple of examples just so people can get a sense of like how challenging that 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 can be and then and then your thoughts the you know like your high level thoughts from what you shared in the article about what 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 that means um being being black in a primary in a primarily white space you know that that I think coming from the south you know where like the racism is like in your face like being in the bay it was a bit more like subtle so like I wrote that that article mostly because like you know after George Floyd, like a bunch of restaurants were posting in solidarity of like black yeah. lives. And I was like, but there are no black people in your spaces. So how are you posting in solidarity when you guys are part of the pro are 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 uh, part of that problem? You know, and then when you do have black people, you know, we're we're not centered, you know, like we're just there. We're usually like tokenized um I just I just got tired of like the weird comments the weird questions you know like being black you know there's a certain way that we speak there are certain things that we say that are just like us and then like working with some of these chefs like they would just like laugh at things or just would like make weird comments um being African I was like saying something and one of my chefs was like, you should say that in an African accent. And I'm just kind of like, why, why is it okay to say that? Like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's just, how can I word this? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, I, I, I really just got frustrated <laughs> at the end of the day. That's what really just happened. I got frustrated and I was like, you guys aren't doing anything. You guys are part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, someone needs to say something. Someone needs to speak up because like when you are the, well, usually the, the token, you don't feel like you can speak up because no one really there has your back. So, I mean, I wasn't necessarily trying to speak up for like all black people mm -hmm. in fine dining. I was just saying like, Hey, like these have been, my experiences I'm sure there there are other chefs and psalms and mixologists who have felt similar but like they don't feel like they have that voice yeah you know a lot of us don't feel like no one's really like looking out for us you know you walk into a kitchen you're like all right all right I see I see and there's like damn like no one here looks like me so no one's really going to like get like hey what you said that's not funny. Like you don't always have to like use hip hop to like <laughs> try and have a conversation with me. Like, like we're chefs. Let's, let's talk about food. Like we don't mm -hmm. have to talk about black culture, you know, like try and find ways to, I guess, 
just make black people feel not like we are the other. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you eventually transitioned to and you're now working at High Felicia, which is a black owned, if I remember correctly, a black owned fine dining restaurant. Yes, um, black owned fine dining in downtown, uh, multi-course tasting menu. Uh, it started off as a pop-up on the owner's patio. Oh, then, okay. Um, yeah, so like, like she uh, also works in fine dining and was fed up due to the racism in fine dining. So she was like, I'm going to start my own space. So she started a pop-up. Um, then she was able to secure a brick and mortar uh, in April of last year. Um, I joined in July and uh, I was supposed to be a sous chef, but her CDC left and then she asked me to take that position. And I was like, you know, you're the first person to offer me a, a CDC position. So, yes, I will take it. <laughs> and, and for those who are not uh, kitchen folks, uh, CD, Chef de Cuisine is what? Um, CDC stands for. Yes. Um, awesome. Great. And so in terms of like what's next for you in the food space, I feel like you've sort of landed in a great space with, with High Felicia. Um, what's what's next for you? What when you think about your career in food, when you're looking down the horizon, like it sounds like you want to do more with Eladi. Um, yes, but if you think about the next year, the next five years, like what's what are you thinking in terms of how you want to maybe develop your own skills, but then also grow your own like brand and maybe also telling that you know African food story through um Eladi and and other means. So I'm definitely know that going to Ghana is in the future. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been 20 years since I've oh been back gosh. to Ghana. The last time I went, yeah, the last time I went when I was 13 and I'm now 33. So it's 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 a long time coming. Um Ghana is in the future just so that I can like cook with my aunts and my grandmas mm-hmm. and like really like dive into the food. Like I want to be able to to cook with our ingredients you know I've got the spices but like I want to be able to like cook with like yam when it's in season I want to be able to cook with like garden eggs I want to be able to cook with like uh 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 rice from Ghana you know like I want to get my hands into the culture as much as I can um I don't know how long I want to be in Ghana for, <laughs> but um, I'm probably planning to go to Ghana sometime this year. Um, and then I eventually want to open up my own restaurant. Um, I don't know if it'll be in the next five years. Hopefully, though. <laughs> Speak it into existence. You never know. Like someone, I will tell you, someone shared with me um a vision board that I did five years, uh, was it five, maybe four years ago? Um, wow. That I'd completely forgotten about. And one of the things I had mentioned was like wanting to have um, a restaurant. So I, a restaurant in Ghana at some point, and literally I thought this was like 10, 15 years down the road. And I recently just opened one by, it's just a, like the story is maybe for another podcast, but it just was a combination of circumstance, opportunity, luck, like all sorts of things that happened to make that come true. So I'm like, I'm a big believer in, you know, speaking a vision, putting it, writing it down, what have you. And um, if you're working intentionally towards it, I feel like it would, it would come true. So I wouldn't dismiss it. You never know. <laughs> You never know. You never know who could be listening and being like, "Hey, I'm gonna reach out to Selassie. And so, I mean, that is the end goal. But I want to be able to do it right. Like that's 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 why I'm taking my time with having a yeah. restaurant because I want to be able to give benefits. I want to be able to. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's there's more than just like 
the <laughs> cooking part. I want to yeah. be able to like take care of my employees. So yeah. no, that's a no, that's yeah, that's the right way to do it. Um awesome. So before we transition to rapid fire, can you let people know where they can find you online, social media, what have you? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh my Facebook is Selassie Doche. Uh I have a page for Helade uh Test Kitchen on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram with the name Selassie Doche. Um a hard pill to swallow is also on Instagram and so is Helade uh test kitchen i have a twitter but i'm on instagram a lot more a lot. So that's... okay so i will share i will share those links then so people can um follow you too know about more about your story and then if they're in the area check you out at hike risha um yeah cool so very quickly uh rapid fire questions um the first one is what's one ingredient you cannot live without suya Suya, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, would you rather lose your sense of smell or taste? Ooh, hmm. I would probably say smell. Smell, okay. And then, what is your favorite? Although I feel like we've answered this question, but it's definitely not winter. But what is your favorite season? <laughs> um, probably summer. Um, yeah. And then lastly, who would you rather meet? Your ancestors or your future descendants? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, let's go with our ancestors. Okay. I'm, I'm curious why, because I feel like everybody says ancestors. Oh, yeah? yeah um, everybody says ancestors, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just mostly because to, like, pick their brain and figure out like all of the knowledge that they have to talk about their experiences, you know, just, just to, yeah, just to connect. Yeah. I, Interesting. <laughs> I feel like I would, I, and I guess I've never answered this on the show, but I feel like I would want to <laughs> meet like my future de- descendants just to see okay. like, where the story goes. Yeah. Where the story goes. Right. Like, of, especially like in, African food, like all of the work that different people are doing, like I don't know, fifty years from now, is African food mainstream? Like, are people do people oh. understand the different? Like, what? I may change my answer people... now. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no. What do people don't understand yet that I could potentially change and how I'm shaping the narrative? Like, I feel like I wanna. That's what I would wanna know. Um, but everybody wants to meet the ancestors, which which is always <laughs> interesting to me. Um. But now I've shared my answer, my answers to everybody. I, I hope that doesn't change people's answer in the future. But um, yes. So, well, thank you, Salasi, for the time today. It was so nice to chat with you, learn about your experience. Um, some unfortunate, but it's it's glad to see. I'm happy to see that, like, you've worked through a lot of that. You're in a, it sounds like you're in a really good place now. And I especially am looking forward to seeing your take on okra soup. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and hoping to try that uh, someday. <laughs> so thank you. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.